In this episode of the podcast, Coach Sheffer sits down with Coach Stan Hodgen. Coach Hodgen has 24 years of coaching experience, including five years as a high school head coach. Previous stops for Coach Hodgen include offensive coordinator stints at Emory and Henry College and Averett University, both in Virginia, as well as the head coach position at Halifax County High School. Coach Hodgen is currently the offensive coordinator at Shenandoah, where he runs the air raid offense. In 2018, they led all of college football in passing offense, and they have finished in the top 20 in scoring offense four of the past five seasons. Enjoy the episode. I want to thank Coach Anthony Stone for the opportunity to be a contributing author to his new magazine, the Coach Stone Football Coaching Magazine, From the Field to Football Podcasts, Coaching in the Digital Era. This is a great opportunity for me to get out there and grow the community of the podcast. Uh, So if you're looking for some free football content, go ahead and follow the link that I'm going to provide in the description of this episode below. Uh, And you're going to get some free stuff uh, from including from me, from Coach Steve, from the Coach Steve Show, Coach PJ Davis from the Shavehead Podcast, uh, Coach Matt Bartley, Bartley from the Game Records and Slobber Knockers Podcast, Coach Nick Banstra from his Kick and Cover podcast, the Gap Down Backer podcast, and also Coach Dustin Mills from the Anchor Down podcast, as well as many others in the future. So if you are interested in free football content, and most of us coaches are, do us a huge favor and follow the link and like and subscribe to this magazine. It will help us out tremendously. Thank you. All Armchair Coaching Podcast episodes have been edited by Coach James Heath. Follow Coach James Heath on Twitter at jrockfordheath. And if you are interested in starting your own podcast, contact Coach Heath, and he will help you get set up with everything that you need for podcasting. Thank you, Coach Heath. I couldn't do it without you, brother. Welcome back to the Armchair Coaching Podcast. I am your host tonight, Coach Sheffer, and today we have a great guest. We have Coach Stan Hodgen, who is currently the offensive coordinator at Shenandoah University out of Winchester, Virginia. Coach, welcome into the podcast. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Coach. Glad to be here. Awesome. Well, like I do with every episode, I'm going to ask. go ahead and ask you the very first question. This is one I ask every single coach who comes on the podcast I want to know about your story. I want to know um, how did you get into coaching? Uh, where have you been along the way? Basically, how did you end up where you are today? Um, well, I grew up in a home. Uh, my dad was a high school football coach. Um, growing up, I can't ever remember wanting to be a policeman or wanting to be a fireman or any other very honorable profession that's out there. I, I, kind of felt like that the only job in the whole world was being a football coach. Um, you know, so I go through the, um, you know, the, the time as a high school student and then choosing college. Um, really the only thing I wanted to know about the college was academically was, do you offer a a health and PE teaching degree? And, um, you know, so I, I ended up going to Carson Newman, which is in East Tennessee. Um, the thing that drew me to Carson Newman was, you know, in the recruiting process, the thing that was most important to me is I wanted to win and I wanted to win at a very high level. My senior year in high school, Carson Newman won the national championship. Um, so I think that played a big role in my decision. And then I was fortunate enough as a freshman to be on a national championship team, um, at Carson Newman. But I finished, uh, finished my degree there and then went to uh, my first stop was in Roxborough, North Carolina. I was a high school uh, assistant. I was actually an offensive coordinator my very first year um, and worked at Person High School in Roxborough. And I was there for, I, I was there for quite a while. That was 1988 was my first year there. And then uh, through uh, the early 2000s, um, I was there, and then 2005, I came across the border and to, to, went to Halifax County High School in Virginia, South Boston, Virginia, and I was at Halifax for, for five years, and while I was at Halifax, I was, originally, I was the quarterback coach and the offensive coordinator there, uh, became the head coach at Halifax uh, for 
the last handful of years that we were there. And then I got a chance to um, jump to the college rank. Mike Dunleavy was the head coach at the time at Averitt and gave me a chance to join their staff uh, in a part-time role. Um, so for there in the 2010 season, I actually taught school during the day and then uh, was a you know, was a part-time coach at Averitt, absolutely fell in love with the college game and the, the environment there and decided that that was the, the path I was hoping that my career would take from that point. Uh, in the spring of 2011, um, I, I was offered the offensive coordinator's job at Emory and Henry, and I went to, to Southwest Virginia uh, and worked at Emory and Henry. I was there for two seasons. Um, and then that's when Coach Yoder got the head job at Shenandoah and offered me a chance to come to Winchester. So I've been here. I was here for the – I came in January of 2013. And, um, you know, so we're in year nine here now. So it's kind of a, the path that I've traveled to get to where I am. That's awesome, Coach. Um, on some, some of your responses to our, our guest form, you mentioned uh, that – at Shenandoah, you led all of college football in passing offense in 2018, and you finished in the top 20 in scoring offense for the past five years. That is, that's a lot, Coach, and that's incredible. Um, you know, especially coming from – I'm giving you praise because I myself, I was a Bridgewater uh, guy, so I didn't really like Shenandoah for quite a while. Um, I do now, though, as a uh, high school football coach and as a coach who has – some of my players are actually playing at Shenandoah now. Um, I really, and I've talked to coach Oakley before I had him on the podcast and I really enjoyed having him on. Um, I'm really warming up to Shenandoah. Uh, it, it's a very, very, very nice school. And I'm very impressed with what you guys have been able to do. Well, we're not bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and actually the, everybody at Bridgewater that I've ever met, I have, I have an amazingly uh, high level of respect for them. And um, actually I've got some, some of those guys I actually consider friends 364 days out of the year. And, you know, we, we just butt heads one day a year and then we go back to being friends. So um, good stuff there. Yeah. That's uh, that's basically the way I view point view it. Now uh, the older I get uh, you know, the wiser I get, I'm not exactly young and dumb, uh, might still be dumb, but I'm not young anymore. Uh, but I, along the way, I've come to respect others, other coaches um, at other schools, even though that one day of the year, maybe That's not right. so much. Um, Coach Oakley spoke highly of you and your offense. And one thing that I wanted to know is um, how did you guys – or how did you specifically uh, start getting into the air raid? Um, after my first season in 1988, uh, we were, um, we just kind of floundered throughout the year. We were not, uh, didn't score a lot of points. Uh, we were not explosive on offense. And so I went to the, like the guy I worked for we, at the time was John Lacey Harris, amazingly supportive head coach, and and I said, I said, coach, I want to go, I want to go visit, I want to learn, and 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 he said, I'm a hundred percent in favor of that. I support your idea. Where do you want to go? And this is in North Central North Carolina, is where Roxbury is, and I said, I want to go to the University of Houston, and at the time. Um, um, oh my goodness, I just dropped a name. Um, they had a quarterback that was just putting up incredible numbers, uh, won the Heisman Trophy. Anyway, I went down, um, spent a spring or part of a spring uh, visiting with the University of Houston. At the time, Jack Pardee was the head coach. John Jenkins was the offensive coordinator. Um, Andre Ware was the quarterback. That was the name I couldn't come up with. And they were just, I mean, just mind-blowing numbers and they were very run and shoot oriented and and so that's uh, I learned uh, that was my introduction to the run and shoot I came back home after that visit 
really excited about what they were doing. Um, Tiger Ellison was a high school coach in Ohio many years ago, uh, had put out a book. He invented the run and shoot. I read his book and, you know, chased down all the leads I could to learn more and more about that. And, and just, and that's kind of what we did at Roxborough there for, for quite a few years and had, you know, our, our certainly our production went really, you know, really increased and we were scoring a lot more points uh, with each year, we were getting a little bit better. We were figuring out how to teach it. And, um, you know, we had some pretty talented guys. And then I can remember 1995, maybe, I had a quarterback at Roxborough by the name of Jamie Barnett. And after Jamie's high school career, he went to North Carolina State, was a four-year starter at quarterback. He was the starter the four years prior to Philip Rivers' arrival to North Carolina State. And so, you know, yes, our production was going up. And, and yes, we were getting a deeper understanding of the offense. But the key, and, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get into this at, with the success we've had at Shenandoah, was with the players. You know, I'm coaching a I'm coaching a high school quarterback that ends up, you know, and this term was not used at the time, but he ended up being a four year starter at a Power Five school. So I'm coaching really good players, and um, on that team also we had a we had a receiver that was a three year starter at East Carolina, and you know, and so we were we were coaching some pretty talented guys, and and basically what we probably figured out a little bit earlier than a lot of the people that we were competing against was the game of football was changing and it was becoming more like basketball on grass. And how do you get the ball into space to a really talented athlete and do it enough times that, you know, it, you know, yields points and uh, touchdowns and, 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 you know, puts the defense in the ultimate bind. And <clears throat> so I left, I left Roxborough and went to, um, went to Halifax County and it was kind of, that's kind of when the transition began. Um, there was some run and shoot there. Um, I had a chance to go down to uh, Lubbock, Texas and spend a week with Mike Leach uh, mm. when he was at Texas Tech. Um, and that was kind of the, the eureka moment for me was the air raid and the run and shoot have so many similarities, um, you know, in its core, but they're, but they're conceptually very different. And so after getting back from my trip to Texas tech started transitioning all my thoughts more to a more air raid approach. Um, and we had tremendous success at Halifax County, uh, offensively. And then, when I went to Averitt, I was not uh, I was not a coordinator. I was a position coach there, um, but I but I continued to study the air raid approach and um, you know just reached out and and visited with as many guys as I could, and you know and certainly I was I was at Averitt only a single season and then went to Emory and Henry and and they actually I think part of the you know, part of the reason for the decision for, for my hire at Emory was they wanted to go to a, an air raid type approach. And, you know, so, you know, only taking a year off from that, from, from that approach to football, we were able to implement the air raid at Emory and Henry and, you know, really had, had, you know, had marketable success in two years there. And, then I think that certainly played a role. The success we'd had at Emory played a role in Coach Yoder asking me to come to Shenandoah in 2013. And, and so that's, I mean, that's what we've been ever since we've been here. Uh, now, are there, I'm, I'm sure you still follow Coach Leach, because um, I, I do, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, even though I, I have not yet coached in a air raid offense yet, but um, I definitely do follow the air raid guys. I follow Coach Leach. Um, you know, everybody talks about uh, Coach Lincoln Riley. Uh, who are, in your opinion, are there any other air raid gurus out there that we should be familiar with? Like, who else would you study from? Um, I certainly, you know, went down the year that I went down and visited Texas Tech. Um, what an incredible staff that was. Lincoln Riley was the inside receivers coach on that staff. Um, Clay Helton was the tight ends coach, head coach at Southern Cal. 
Um, now, uh, obviously, Coach Leach went on to Washington State, now at Mississippi State. And uh, the head coach at North Texas is um, was the running back coach, um, Seth. Uh, oh, boy. Seth Luttrell. Okay. Seth Luttrell was the running back coach at Texas Tech at the time, and he's now the head coach at North Texas. And, you know, so everybody on the offensive side of the ball – after they left Texas Tech, eventually are now currently head football coaches with the exception of the O-line coach um, who just got hired again at, I believe, at Oklahoma. Um, just joined, I mean, it was a recent hire, like in the last 10 days. <clears throat> um, but, you know, Dana Holgerson was on that staff who, you know, he then he came up to West Virginia for a while. And, um, you know, now he's, um, you know, back down in the, the Texas area and uh, you know, they're all, I mean, they're, they're air raid guys all over the place. How mummy is one, you know, that it kind of all started at, uh, at Iowa Wesleyan with how mummy is the head coach and Mike Leach was on that staff and Dana Holgerson was a player. Um, and then they went down to Valdosta and um, had unbelievable success. And from there they went to Kentucky and, I've had a chance to develop a relationship with, with Coach Mummy, and, um, you know, certainly he's been a resource of mine for many years, and, you know, his son is now at Nevada, it does a really good job with the, you know, with the offense, but it's really hard to turn the television on on Saturdays, and it doesn't matter who's playing, and not see the influence of the air raid offense, so. I, I agree, Coach. Um I'm drawing a blank. I was going to – oh, I wanted to talk a little bit about Coach Leach. Now, uh, he – Coach Leach obviously had a decent amount of success at Washington State. He had a lot of success at Texas Tech. Um, pretty much every stop he's made, he's had success. Now, he gets to a school like Mississippi State, and they win their first game. They blow out the previous national champions – and record numbers in the passing game. Um, and then it kind of falls off from there the rest of the season. I understand there was some issues with, you know, players quitting and, um, you know, maybe a lot of young guys were on the squad. Uh, what do you potentially see in the com next coming years with Coach Leach? Do you think he'll turn that around and bring some more success at Mississippi State? I don't think there's any doubt. Um you know, it, the talking heads on television, um, you know, kind of kind of rubs me the wrong way that, you know, they can identify what all the problems are and they already have all the answers. And, um, you know, the truth is we don't really know what Coach Leach inherited or what any coach at any school inherits when he gets there. But one thing that I think is consistent with Coach Leach's um, tenure as a head coach um, – First of all, really good jobs don't come open, okay? You know, when the, when the job comes open, you're inheriting an awful lot of problems. Um, and, and, you know, there's no reason for me to believe that Coach Leach didn't inherit an awful lot of problems. Um, and, and it's going to get straightened out. He's going to get his guys in there. You know, keep in mind, you know, they, his first game out, they beat the defending national champions. Um, and he was coaching somebody else's recruits. You know, that wasn't his recruits that, that were playing. And, you know, I think year three, um, you know, so that'd be the 22 fall. I think you're going to begin to see what the Coach Leach influence at Mississippi State is. Um, you know, and certainly from that point going forward, he's going to be coaching exclusively guys he recruited um, or his staff has recruited. And, you know, so I, you know, I – you know, will they, you know, will they win six, seven games in, you know, in the fall of 21? I don't know. Um, but I do think that there's certainly much greener pastures ahead. Um, you know, obviously what we saw in the LSU game this past year is what, you know, what could happen at any given moment. Um, you know, I think the number one thing, just watching them, and, and again, I'm completely an outsider and, and don't have any information that any other person out there watching them on television has, but 
I just didn't think they had very good quarterback play. Um, you know, after that, I thought the the Castillo kid played out of his mind against LSU, and then it was like it was unrecognizable the next couple games, and then they ended up going to a freshman who had verbally committed to go to Washington State to play for Coach Leach, and then changed his you know decommitted and changed his college decision to Mississippi State. So, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, they played with there at the end, especially in the bowl game, they were playing with an incredible number of freshmen and sophomores. And, you know, those guys got valuable reps this year and valuable experience. And, you know, the win-loss record does not, you know, does not scream we're about to contend for the national championship. But um, but I do think that, you know, that there's certainly – going to have um, – they're going to certainly make a lot of noise and change the landscape of the SEC. Now, do they become the new Alabama and win it, you know, year after year after year? We'll see. But I, I do think the landscape of the SEC is um, is changing right in front of us. I, I agree. And I honestly was not surprised with how the season ended um, – because, you know, you got a brand new coach coming in and especially with the shortened season, the shortened off season, the, the issues that we've been facing with um, the pandemic, it, it, it's hard to install a system and your system. And then it's hard to get your culture going in that short amount of time. Cause I know, I understand that coach Leach is a, a big culture guy as well. Um, and so that takes time to establish, takes time for your recruits to get in there for the players that are already there to build to buy into it. And so I definitely agree with what you're saying there. I think in the next few years, I, I'm excited to see what Coach Leach can do with SEC caliber receivers because he's going to get those. And he hasn't, except for his time at Kentucky, really hasn't had that because, um, you know, I'm not trying to talk bad about Washington State, but no offense to Washington State, they're not getting the same caliber recruit as a Mississippi state is just because Mississippi state's in the sec. It, it, it it's an unfortunate truth, but I'm excited to see the next couple of years. Cause I, I agree with you. I think it's going to change. And I think the Mike Leach versus Lane Kiffin battle every single year, that's going to be must see TV in the next few years. Uh, I, I think it's going to be very interesting. And, you know, you got Florida is, um, you know, they've certainly taken a giant step forward as well. And, um, you know, Georgia is, uh, you know, been in the the final four in the national, you know, semifinals two of the last three years. And, you know, you got Alabama in there. And I just I, – I don't think there's anybody who truly appreciates college football that could deny that the Southeastern Conference is playing the best football in the country year in and year out from top to bottom. Now, mm -hmm. you know, there's certainly a really good teams elsewhere. I mean, obviously Clemson is, you know, has had a tremendous run and, you know, but to say that the ACC top to bottom is as competitive as the SEC, I, I, I don't think so. Um, you know, obviously Ohio State had a really good year um, this year and has been, had a pretty good run the last few years, but, the Big Ten is not the SEC, not week in and week out. It's a different style of football. It's a different caliber of athlete. And I just don't think that there's any doubt that the best college football played in America is, is in the Southeastern Conference. I completely agree, Coach. Okay, listeners, we're going to pause for a short message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you in part by Second Skull. Second Skull is a protective headgear company focused on helping to keep athletes safe and to help keep athletes on the field participating in the sports that they love. Their products are patented, tested, and proven to reduce direct and rotational impacts to the head. Their technology is trusted by several athletic organizations and the United States military. Their pro cap is designed with the grant from the National Football League. This protective skull cap is the ultimate in thin, lightweight, and breathable protection. The pro cap is comparable to other skull caps that do not offer such protection, measuring at just 2 millimeters thick and weighing less than 2.4 ounces. The pro cap improves protection for all players when worn under their helmet and is perfect for football, baseball, hockey, and lacrosse. 
Their pro band is designed in collaboration with professional players and clubs in Spain. This protective headband provides superior protection with an aesthetic and athletic look. The pro band has a unique five panel construction with a reinforced forehead panel to deliver a natural feel and ultimate ball control at just four millimeters thick and a weight of 1.4 ounces. The pro band provides protection for all players in non-helmeted sports and activities and is ideal for soccer athletes. Listeners of the Armchair Coaching Podcast can go to secondskull.com and save 20% on any products purchased from that website with the discount code armchair. That's A-R-M-C-H-A-I-R in all caps. This episode is brought to you in part by High and Tight Footballs. High and Tight Footballs are the world's only self-contained, pressure-measuring, multi-sensory, instant, audible feedback training footballs on the market. They have been used by NFL Hall of Fame players, NFL coaches, collegiate All-Americans, and players at all levels. Listeners of the Armchair Coaching Podcast can actually receive a 10% discount on any products purchased from High and Tight by using the discount link below in the description and by using the discount code ACP. Make sure you type in ACP at checkout to get a 10% discount on any items purchased from highandtight.com. This episode was brought to you in part by Knack Bags. Knack was created to make it easier for multitasking mobile professionals to get from point A to point B without lugging a bunch of bags. Their multi-purpose products combine the best features of a stylish daily use computer backpacks with a patent pending hidden compartment that you can easily access. Expand and pack like a suitcase whenever you need extra space for travel, the gym, or anywhere your life takes you. You can find Knack products exclusively at knackbags.com. Listeners of the Armchair Coaching Podcast can check the description of this episode below to find a special link to go to purchase Knack products. From Shenandoah University in Winchester, Virginia. Um, The next topic that I wanted to get in with you, Coach, is um, whenever we think of spread offense and we think of, um, you know, air raid versus, you know, spread option, it's usually a no huddle, up tempo offense, usually. Um, So, what are your own personal thoughts and philosophies on tempo? Are you do you like going as fast as possible or do you, what's your personal philosophy on tempo? Um, It's a pretty, it's a, it's a pretty uh, layered question that you just ask. uh, And, and so my answer is going to be equally as layered. Um, I think with the the rules of college football, the way they are today, uh, if the offense does not substitute, Mm -hmm. the officials do not slow the game down and allow that they, they allow the offense to go as fast as they want to. Um, if you can prevent the defense from substituting, I think that's a huge advantage to the offense. So I think, I think the ability to keep, if you get the 11 defenders on the field that you want to play against, I think tempo is a, um, it, it is a major factor in the way the game of college football is played. With that being said, I am 100% in favor of being as up-tempo as you possibly can be. Now, 2015 to 2018, I had a quarterback, um, same starting quarterback for four years. Um, When he got to be a junior, um, his football IQ, his understanding of what we did, his understanding of how defenses were defending us, just through his own hard film study and, and putting in unbelievable number of hours in preparation, he started to he started to get to a point that he was very efficient in getting us out of bad play calls that I own and getting us into better play calls because of his vantage point. Um, and so in 17 and 18, we actually slowed our tempo down not necessarily intentionally. It was not an announcement in any team meeting. Hey, we're going to slow down. I just turned the tempo completely over to the quarterback. And Hayden Balserman was uh, uh, just incredible at getting us into a better play. There, there were many times that he and I would laugh um, post game watching the film that 
you know, I'd, I'd pick with him. Hayden, I just made a really good play call. And he would reply, I know, and I changed it to a better one. And, and it was, it was just, it, just fun to watch. He was fun to coach um, just because of the investment that he had in his own time. And that's something that no one ever saw. You know, you'd, I'd run into people and they talk about how, how, you know, how good a football player he was and how much they enjoyed watching him play and, and, you know, and, and, but these people had no idea of the investment that Hayden put in, uh, in preparation, uh, you know, just the time that you spend that no one ever sees. And uh, so because of that, because of the trust that our program had in him as a decision maker, uh, we kind of took the foot off the gas of the tempo um, actually played the fall of 19 without him, obviously for the first time. Uh, we reinstated tempo, uh, and and you know the quarterback was going to be because Hayden had started the previous 40 games for us. The quarterback, no matter what his name is, is was going to be much more inexperienced than we were used to playing with, and so we just tried to tilt the advantage to us by playing at you know at a really quick pace and. Um, you know, and that kind of seems to be the direction we're headed in the spring of 21 as well. Now, when you speed up your tempo, are you, you know, within your play calling, are you kind of simplifying things a little bit or are you, it's like the same, same play structures, everything's the same? Um, it, it's going to vary week to week. Um, we're going to, uh, one thing that we're going to have going into any given week is a menu of one word play calls. And so from a single word, you're gonna, that's going to tell everybody formation. That's going to tell everybody the motion, if there is any. It's going to call the protection. It's going to call the route scheme, all with a single word. Um, and, and so that will always be a part of our approach. Um, you know, certainly we don't want to get that, we don't want that menu to grow, to be so big that we, the big thing that we talk about, kind of some buzzwords that we use is we don't want our players thinking. We right. want to remove the thinking. We want them to react. And, you know, if I've got a, if I go into a game with a menu of nine or 12 plays, you know, and we call bananas, well, the, the reality is somebody out there is going to be thinking, okay, now wait a minute, what is bananas? And I, I don't want them thinking, them, I don't want them trying to figure out what is bananas when, you know, in the middle of a game. So, you know, we'll keep that list at a manageable number. Um, I think the minimum would be three. I think the maximum would be five, to be honest with you. Um, but, um, but the one word play calls, uh, you know, if you limit it to five, obviously there is some, you know, there is some simplicity in the approach and, uh, but at the same time, our entire playbook is available. It's just not available in one word play calls. So, uh, you know, we're going to have a plan. We call it a plan A, which is our, this is, you know, this is how we think we're going to be defended. And this is how we want to attack how we think we're going to be defended. And, you know, and if that is the way it unfolds, then, you know, that's, we'll stay with plan A. But if we get a surprise and maybe we were expecting a three man front and end game, you know, we get a four-man front, then we'll probably, you know, we'll have to get over to our play and B, which mm -hmm. is going to be less of our one-word play calls and, um, you know, things that, that we do well that we seem to have had success against a four-man front. So, um, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag there. Obviously, everything we do, we're trying to – ultimately, we're trying to put our players in the position that they can be successful and – you know, so what gives our guys a chance to be um, to be successful? And success is defined a lot of different ways. But um, you know, so but ultimately, end of the day, we're judged on did you win or did you lose? And um, you know, so but also, you know, and we do talk about this every week with our players is there's so much that goes into a game. We don't ever want to have the goal of winning a football game. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because if, you know, if, if, how do you know if you played well enough to win? I mean, you, you either win or you don't, but you can play. And we've had teams and games at Shenandoah 
when one side of the ball plays really well and the other side just is not clicking that particular day and we get beat. And, um, you know, so to, to use in the offensive meeting room to use wins and losses as our judge of were we successful or not, I think is, is a little bit unfair, but it is the way that, you know, we're judged by, you know, the newspaper and the radio and, you know, and most of the people that attend the games. But, you know, obviously um, we're looking at it through a little different lens and try to educate our guys that, um, to look at it a little bit differently um, as well. So, um, but ultimately we just, we want to give our guys the best chance of being successful. If that's stringing first downs together, if that's explosive plays, if that's, you know, scoring 50 points. I mean, you know, whatever, whatever it is for that particular day that defines success. That kind of leads me into another question I wanted to talk to you about. Um, one of the things that you said you guys pride yourselves on is that you, in the past, you've been able to tweak the offense to the strengths of the players that you had uh, and to, like you were saying, put them in the best position for, you know, their success. What are some examples that you can remember of like certain tweaks that you made, you know, it could maybe for like a certain quarterback or for a certain you know, offensive line group or, or receiver group. What were what are some examples that you can remember um, that worked really well, like little tweaks that you made for your offense? Well, I don't think our offense changes very much from year to year. I, I, the tweaks, and I've used that term to describe it, um, is where is the emphasis? Um, I can remember um, 2000, 2015 was Hayden's freshman year. Um, Hayden, incredibly talented, throwing the football. Um, but we're concept-oriented in our pass game, which means we identify a single route and everybody else's route fits off of it. I mean, that is the air raid approach. Um, in 2015, for a, a number of reasons, we were not incredible pass protectors that year up front. Um, but we were really good at three-step protection. Uh, three-step protection simplified the passing game. So we had the exact same install in 2015 as we were working on currently. Um, but in 2015, about 80% of our passes were out of our three-step pass game uh, for the entire season. And, you know, contrast that when Hayden was a senior, we were really experienced up front. We were incredible pass protectors. I mean, those, that group was unbelievable. Uh, and we were about 91% of our passes were in the five-step protection game and we were throwing the ball down the field. And that was the year that we led the country in passing. And, um, you know, the passing success that we've had, it, the, the credit, obviously Hayden was incredibly talented and was very efficient. But the, the credit goes to every position group. I mean, that particular year, um, 2018, we hit through it 555 times in the season. And our offensive line surrendered six sacks. Wow. So, you know, so yes, Hayden, Hayden was really skilled and, and really uh, efficient throwing the football, but he's throwing it from a clean pocket, you know, more often than not. Um, and because of our approach and because of our success in protecting, it really changed how we were being defended that year. So, um, you know, you, you throw it that many times, you, you know, you, you better catch it and you better, you better make a guy miss once you catch it and extend plays. And, and so our receiving core that year was, you know, really efficient in those areas. And so it was just, it was kind of a perfect storm to, you know, to some degree we had a, incredibly talented quarterback with playing behind a, a group of five guys that for the most part stayed healthy the whole season and were really skilled at pass protection. And then we were throwing the guys that, you know, could catch BBs in the dark and, you know, were hard to tackle once they caught it. So it was, um, you know, it was really a, a unique year uh, for us and, and it was just, it was just an incredible experience to be around those guys on a daily basis. Whenever you hear air raid, um, one of the guys that I follow on Twitter is coach Ron Mackey. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Ron Mackey. Uh, 
and you know I, I follow him i follow uh joe salas and a, a bunch of other air raid guys and usually the conversation comes down to a couple of of concepts within the air raid and so whenever you think air raid, it's, it's it's almost like when you think of wing t what's the play you think of you probably think of buck sweep when you think of air raid most people outside of the air raid what do we think of for me i when i hear air raid i think mesh or stick um and so from someone who's actually coached in the air raid for many years uh what are some of your favorite concepts that you use every single year doesn't matter like the talent level um doesn't matter the quarterback's experience do you have certain concepts you use no matter what absolutely uh day one install every single season is going to be the four verts uh it all starts with four vertical routes um, having the ability or at least having the threat of throwing it over the defense's head changes how you are defended um, and you know there's there's a lot of coaching points to to that approach um, you know it, when uh, most years the other one uh, let me let me back up so this will make more sense to you the other concept that we're going to run every single year no matter what is the shallow concept mm-hmm. um, we're going to run go and we're going to run shallow you know in the you know, in the, the air raid vernacular, go is called six because mm-hmm. um, you're going to score six points. Uh, and then and then when you're shallow, and we're going to run those two no matter what. And there have been, there have been games, and, and, and I, that's a plural, that word is plural, games that we ran nothing other than go or shallow in our pass game. Um, they each have they each have their own um, you know piece of the puzzle in our in our approach. Um, you know certainly we can flower it up with some other thing. I think mesh is you know usually the guys that are you know that are going to jump up and down for mesh don't run shallow as often. So I just I actually like shallow better than mesh uh, for a couple reasons. And by no means am I telling you that. You know, anybody that's a mesh guy is wrong. Absolutely not. It's got to fit your personality and it's got to fit, you know, the guys that are in your locker room. Um, but I think, I think mesh, I think mesh, and we run mesh, but um, I, I think mesh requires a little different skill set from your inside receivers than, than shallow does. And we just have had more success recruiting guys that kind of fit the shallow concept. Um, we, I mean, we do have the mesh concept. Um, we've got the curl flat concept. Um, you know, we do run cross as well. And, um, you know, we, I think we've got seven total concepts that we run, but every Saturday um, we're going to run go and we're going to run shallow. It doesn't matter what opponent we're playing. It doesn't matter what quarterback we're playing with or any other position. Those two are staples in our offense. And um, you, you kind of hit on a little bit when you talked about six and how uh, you can have certain tags and certain things that you can do off of. It's not everyone's always running the go route every single time. It, it depends on what the defense does, depends on what you call. Um, that's something that a coach like Ron Mackey talks about a lot. Um, and he talks a lot about simplifying and running a couple of concepts like six or like shallow cross, but having a lot of tags attached where you can change or tweak a certain route, or you can change protection here or there based on what the defense is doing. Um, so there's, there's coaches out there, a lot of air raid coaches that are into simplifying, but using tags. So fewer plays, but more tags to it. And then there's other coaches out there. And I work, have worked for a few of them who say, no, we need a different play for this coverage we need a different play for whenever the defense does this um what kind of uh what range do you fit in are you more of a fewer plays but more tags or are you like more plays kind of guy um i'm not a big tag guy um we do we do an awful lot of side adjustment on our routes um so they're not hard call tags uh there's a guy that I think if you're not following this guy, 
I would strongly recommend you follow Drew Piscopo. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Drew played for me at Emory and Henry. Um, and then once he left, once his playing career was over, he went all in on the air raid. And he is as knowledgeable as anybody I've ever talked to about the air raid. And I probably lean on him more than any of the other big name resources that I have. Um, just, just because, you know, Drew's coaching it at the high school level and you know, understands obviously, you know, if we we're not playing in the Southeastern conference, we're not playing with Southeastern conference athletes. Um, and, and so, you know, there's certain things that maybe you see in a power, from a power five team that we physically just are not skilled enough to do. Um, but, but Drew has, has a tremendous understanding of the offense and, um, and all the variations and all the tags that come with it. Um, and, and so I basically, we're about seven concepts deep and we do site adjustments on six of the seven. And, you know, so our seven becomes, gosh, I don't know, our seven can probably become 28 or 29 pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on how we're being defended. And I do, I am certainly in the, in the camp of, um, you know, fewer plays, but running them enough in practice so that you get all your variations and you're able to site adjust those, um, you know, at a high level of efficiency so that you don't ever have a, you know, you don't ever have a player, whether it's a quarterback, a receiver, or a running back, say, well, I thought, you know, that's a, that's a, that seems to be a first line of, of an excuse of why I didn't do what I was supposed to. I thought, well, we don't want to think and, you know, we want to react. And so if, you know, if you get a if two high safety versus one high safety, it changes what we see and it changes the site adjustment and it slightly alters the route combination. All right, listeners, we're going to take a short pause for a message from our sponsors. I'd like to thank our new sponsor, Launchpad Kickoff Tee, for joining us here on the Armchair Coaching Podcast family. Coaches, are you looking for that competitive edge but you might not be paying attention to the kickoff game. Well, this is the company for you. I'd like you to go check them out. I have one sitting right here in my hand. It's incredibly unique. It's got a very large surface area and incredibly flexible wings. And so what this does for you here, it gives you extreme flexibility with how you want to kick off. Do you want to use the patented forward lean Well, if you don't know what that is, go ahead and check out their website. You can do just about anything you want. You can dial up different types of squib kicks just with the different angles. You can literally do just about anything with this. And the nice thing is they send you this piece of paper here that goes with diagrams that show you all the different angles and techniques that they've discovered so far. And they are incredibly helpful on their website I highly recommend you check them out. If you're interested, do me a favor. I want you to go to launchpadkickoftee.com slash ACP. Make sure you add the slash ACP. And if you're interested in buying one, if you go to this specific website, you can find the link, the, the link in the description below, you actually get a discount. You're going to get a 10% discount just from using the, the Armchair Coaching Podcast link. If you want to buy one, if you want to buy two, that's a savings of 25%. And if you buy three, you're actually going to get one for free. All right. So those are some huge deals that you're going to get there. So do us a huge favor. Check out our sponsor at Launchpad Kickoff Tea. Make sure that you go to the specific site, launchpadkickofftea.com slash ACP. Launchpadkickofftea.com slash ACP on the kickoff. It's not like all the other kickoff tees that you have. It's incredibly unique. All right. We are back with coach Stan Hodgen, who is the offensive coordinator from Shenandoah university out of Winchester, Virginia. Um, And coach, we were just talking about, you know, uh, how many plays we run in the air raid. um, And that was kind of where we were before. Now I'm going to kind of here, take this a different direction. And 
I used to write a blog that was called Obsessed with Offense. And the reason I called it Obsessed with Offense is because I want to know everything about every single offense. I love all forms of offense uh, out there that are available, some more than others. Um, And there are some out there that I have a personal – I wouldn't say uh, that I would necessarily run this. Like I have a personal affection for the wing tee because that's what I played in high school. And that's what I knew. And we were, we were successful at it. So I have that. It's, it's a love for the the system. I probably wouldn't run it (laughs) at the high school level right now, if I was the offense coordinator, but where I'm trying to take this is from an air raid coach. Cause you hear a lot of like on Twitter, there's a lot of fights between, you know, the spread coaches versus the old school coaches. What are your personal thoughts and opinions on old school offenses? Maybe, for example, the wing tee or the single wing offense. What are your own personal thoughts on those types of offenses? Triple option. I think the triple option uh, in particular deserves an awful lot of credit to what we know in 2021 is offensive football. Um, we are not far from, uh, with an air raid approach, you are not far from running triple option football. It just starts differently. It doesn't start with a quarterback under center. It doesn't start with a, you know, a fullback dive and do I give it, do I pull it, and now I take it to the end and do I keep it, do I pitch it. But But really it's the exact same line of thinking. It's just we are isolating and reading different players than the triple option does, but it's the exact same approach. Um, You know, wing T is arguably as difficult to defend as any offense there is. Um, And I think the, I don't think the scheme that any program runs is, it is nearly as important as how, how efficient are they, you know, do they do it well? And, you know, or is a system, does a system fit the players that are running it? I mean, you know, it, it doesn't matter if I know everything there is about the air raid, or I know very little about the air raid. If I don't have, if I don't have, if I'm not coaching players that can execute it, then my level of knowledge is kind of irrelevant. Um, and I just, I think execution trumps everything else. Um, and, and so you just, you know, how you spend your practice time, um, you know, we have a, we have a saying within our offensive um, meeting room, um, how you spend your time is a direct determinant of what your priorities are. And, and it carries over into our practice plan and the amount of minutes we don't, we never exceed two hours a day practicing. And so when you look back at our practice plan or you look at our practice plan before you go out, you know, what you can see from that is not so much what we're doing. It's what we deem to be important, what we deem to be a a critical piece of our success for the next game. And, uh, you know, are we working? Do we have a plan in place? to give our players the best chance of executing at a really high level in the things that we're emphasizing for that particular game. And, you know, are we calling on Saturday what we practice during the week? And are we asking guys to execute things on Saturday that we ask them to execute and improve on Tuesday through Friday? And, and so I, I think, again, I think the wing tee is as difficult an offense when run well to defend as anything. I think the triple option is incredibly unique and it causes defenses to be in a different mindset. And, you know, the RPO game today is, you know, is, is kind of triple option esque and and it it gets there in a little different way. And, you know, the run and shoot uh, again is a little different and the air rate is a little different from that one. And, And so there's, there's, you know, really uh, countless numbers of approaches or countless numbers of philosophies out there. And really it boils down to, it's not, you know, air raids better than wing T because of this, this, and this. It's who's going to execute better on game day. Well said, coach. I appreciate that. Um, you had the 
I wouldn't say unique because I've talked to a couple of coaches who've had this experience, but um, it's a slightly different experience. You went from being a high school coach for, for quite a while to uh, transitioning to the college game. Um, a lot of the college coaches that I've talked to started in college and because they played college and that's just how they got started. But uh, you were longtime uh, high school coach and then you transitioned to college. What are some of like, the major differences that you notice between coaching in high school versus coaching in college? Um, I don't think it's nearly as different as, you know, someone who has not done both would think. Um, first of all, my job, um, you know, the, if you take the totality of, of my responsibility, I've traded teaching for, you know, seven hours a day to recruiting. Um, you know, I, I don't have to teach classes, but the number one thing that I'm responsible for is recruiting. And, you know, so basically I think you, you trade off, do you want to teach or do you want to recruit? Um, then as far as the actual coaching the game on the field, um, you know, the guys are older, you know, the, the gap of time, you know, they're four years older, um, they're, you know, they're four years faster, they're four years stronger, they're four years more skilled. Um, and it's, it is certainly a higher level of football. Um, I am still, this was, <coughs> excuse me, let's see, 9, 10, 11, 12. This is my 12th year coaching college football, and I am still blown away, still to this day, blown away that high school seniors feel like that I was a good high school football player, I know I can be a dominant Division three college football player. No, no you can't. No. <laughs> it is a significant jump. And, you know, I think there was a – that we did – we were preparing to, uh, you know, really get deep into the recruiting season. I th want to say this was after the 19 – or excuse me, after the 18 season. And – we went back and looked at our current roster. Um, and I think at the time we had 98, we had 98 guys that finished the season in 2018. And of the 98, 63 of them were first or second team all state players. And, and so it's not, okay, I was an all district player and, you know, I was the best player on my team and I was this or I was that. It, it is still a significant jump. And there are, it's it's very unusual for a high school freshman or excuse me a high school senior to come to Shenandoah or any other ODAC school and have a significant role as a freshman it it just it doesn't happen very often it's there's a huge difference in a 17 year old person competing against 17 year old people and an 18 year old person competing against 22 year old people it is a huge difference and you know, certainly they can, if they'll go through the process, they can develop and, you know, and maybe become a dominant player in our program or in our conference. But to think that they're just going to make the step from, you know, from high school to come to the, you know, the Division Three Old Dominion Athletic Conference and have an immediate impact and be a first-team all-conference player, um, it, it just, it's not, it doesn't happen. And it's... Uh, you know, so the players are, they're just, they're more talented, they're more skilled, they get, you know, additional years to work on their craft, and, um, but the people they're going against are doing the exact same thing, and so, you know, it just makes the game faster, and, you know, it's, it's, it's more physical, and it's, um, um, you know, it's just, it's a same version, but it's just on steroids. And I don't mean that our kids are on steroids. It's just, it's a grown up version. And, and I can tell you that, you know, I, I've had, I've had some incredible experiences to go to power five conferences and visit during spring when they're in spring practice. And, you know, the difference between the speed of our game and the speed of their game is it's not even close to being comparable. And there's been two occasions where I've had chances to be, on the field at NFL training camps and the difference between practice speed at 
the University of Texas right after they won the national championship with Vince Young. I was I had the chance to be at Texas uh, spring practice the following spring. And, you know, at the time, I mean, that's the defending national champions and the speed at spring practice at Texas and the speed in the NFL, it's, it's not comparable. It is so much faster. And, and so it's just, you know, I think with every step of your, you know, of your playing career or every step, every um, advancement in the level of competition, it, it is a significant difference. Wow. Yeah. I, um, I had some firsthand experience with that being a uh, freshman at Bridgewater college. And um, I, it, it, going from high school to Brid- to Bridgewater, it was like watching the best player on our team versus, you know, who was like dominant against other high school kids, just like you were mentioning, versus, you know, the, the JV at Bridgewater and they were the worst kid on the team. And it's just like, wow, that's, that's crazy, like how good they actually are. Because a lot of – and I deal with this as a high school coach – trying to talk to kids about the recruiting process and, you know, viable options based on, and I don't want to like, I don't ever want to diss a kid's talent or anything like that, or like put a kid down, but I'm like, you know, division three is a very viable option and it's, it's good football. You go to a division three game. It's a good football. Those are really great players out there. And I, and there is a perception out there and within the public a very incorrect perception that D3 is not good football because it's not D1 and that's the problem. But there are great coaches out there. There are amazing players out there in D3. Um, It's amazing football. And it's, I personally, I like watching D3 football games a lot more than some of the division one games. That's just my own personal opinion. Um, But that's just me. Well, I, you know, you talk about the caliber of play at division three, you know, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are preparing to play in the Super Bowl. His starting left guard is a Division Three player, Ali Marpet. Um, Jake Payne played for us, went to camp with the Jets and the Eagles, um, and is, you know, this last spring was with the uh, the St. Louis team in the uh, you know the outdoor league, and um, it's. There's not the NFL or professional football is not littered with division three players, but there are professional players playing in the division three level. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, I don't, I don't think that there's a solid understanding of the level of competition that is there. One of the questions that I like to ask coaches, um, and I ask this question because I have a hard time doing this myself is what are some ways that, you unplug from football. And so what I mean by this is there, are there any, um, you know, passions or pursuits that you use, you know, that don't have anything to do with football. Maybe you go play golf. Maybe you, you have another uh, hobby out there. What, what are some things, some ways that you unplug from football? Um, I think it's kind of twofold. Um, there are times that I will intentionally unplug from football. And the first thing I do is cut the phone off. Um, and the other thing I do is I, I spend time with my wife and we're blessed with four daughters. Um, they're older now and, um, you know, not, they don't live in our home, but, you know, maybe Laurie and I jump in the car and we go visit, you know, one or two or three of them or you know, make it have an occasion where we all get together and, and maybe slip off to the, you know, to the beach for three or four days. And, um, but, uh, you know, if, again, I go back and the, the number one responsibility I have is recruiting and uh, the phone is, is buzzing constantly with text and with emails and with phone calls and with DMs on Twitter. And um, if I don't cut the phone off, I, there's no way I can, I can unplug uh, from football because it's, you know, recruiting is, um, you know, it's 16 hours a day or can be 16 hours a day with, you know, contacts. And it certainly is seven days a week and, you know, it's 365 days out of the year. So um, the biggest thing I do is just is turn my phone off and, you know, and then when we get time away, um, which is not nearly, 
um, often enough for, I, I think we would, most of us would agree with that. Although we all love what we do is I like to spend it with the people that, you know, in my inner circle. And so that would start with my wife, Laurie and, and, and our daughters. Now, uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap up here, coach, but before we go, uh, first of all, I really appreciate you taking your time to come onto the podcast and talk with me. And if there were some other coaches out there who were interested in speaking to you either about offense or anything to do, um, with, uh, Shenandoah, how would they be able to get in contact with you? Um, Probably the easiest two methods would be email. Um, that is my first initial last name. So it's S-H-O-D-G-I-N at S-U dot E-D-U. Um, and then DMing me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is S underscore Hodgin, H-O-D-G-I-N. Uh, and those are, you know, two ways that you could get to me pretty quick. Awesome, Coach. Well, this has been an interview with Coach Stan Hodgen, the offensive coordinator from Shenandoah University out of Winchester, Virginia. And this is Coach Sheffer signing off.